Hi, good morning, and welcome to another episode of Ask Ellie Intuitive Insights and Your Questions Answered. Today uh, is the 29th of June. We have just had a beautiful new moon, and there's not much activity happening astrologically this this coming week, so we can just sit back and enjoy uh, the benefits that we've had from the summer solstice and the new moon that just happened. And for those people who are joining us for the first time, my name is Ellie Molina, and I am your hostess. I'm an intuitive, a psychic, an international consultant and advisor. I am an author and the creator of Kids and magical place where children and their adults learn to tap into their psychic ability and into their knowingness. This is a wonderful place. And you can learn more about me and my work at www.elliemolina.com. And here's the great news. I've got such an exciting guest today. It is the first time I have ever interviewed a paranormal researcher or someone who's worked with the afterlife. And my guest today is Nicole Strickland. And hello, hello, Nicole. Nicole is one of the leading paranormal researchers on the West Coast. She's the founder and director of the well-respected San Diego Paranormal Research Society. And she's been featured in numerous media outlets. She conducts speaking engagements. She writes. She co-hosts the long-running Haunted Voices Radio with Todd Bates. And she also hosts the Afterlike Chronicles, which was recently selected by Feedspot is one of the top programs on the afterlife. Now, Nicole has done a lot of research on the paranormal, obviously, on the afterlife. She's got three bestsellers and six books. And so we're going to dive into Nicole's background, and then we're going to dive right into Nicole's work. And I'm very excited to have her here today and to welcome her as my guest on Ask Ellie Intuitive Insights and Your Questions Answered. So without further ado, I welcome Nicole Strickland. Hi, Nicole. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a huge honor. So awesome. I'm excited. Oh, listen, so am I. I mean, like you're the first paranormal <laughs> afterlife researcher that's ever been on my podcast. So this is extremely exciting for me and for our listeners today. And I just got to jump right in, Nicole. How did this all start for you? Oh my gosh. So I'll try to condense it. So I'm not talking about it for, you know, like an hour. So ever since I was little, I've always had this innate curiosity about the unknown. I was always a very curious child. So I can recall my first odd experience. Was it with a ghost? Was it with a spirit? I don't know, but something that I couldn't explain when I was around four to five years old. And so that experience actually occurred in Las Vegas. So I was born in Huntington Beach, California. I live in San Diego, California now. So Huntington Beach is about an hour north of San Diego. So then when I was about one years old, my parents and I moved to Las Vegas. 
So it was in the summertime and it was dusk and just, I would say about maybe 8.30 and we were swimming because we had a pool in our backyard and we were just getting out of the pool drying off. And I was, my parents were standing there. I was standing there. And all of a sudden I, I saw this dark gray, not quite black, I don't think, but dark gray, like humanoid misty mass kind of float through or by my parents and I, and I distinctly remember asking, I said, mom, dad, did you see the draft? I don't know why at that age, I would have called what I saw a draft, but that's what I said. And they're like, oh no, I didn't see it. So uh, that's just one example that I can really remember. And then also in that same house in Las Vegas, I had what I think my parents probably assumed was uh, an imaginary friend. I would talk to this gentleman. Now that I've had some years in the, in the paranormal research field, I think that it was probably an earthbound or a ghost from the uh, gold rush days. He was an older man in that, in that uh, period attire. And I would talk to him in my room. He would appear every now and then. So this was again, like four, five, six years old. So this curiosity about the paranormal, specifically ghosts and hauntings and in, in, in the spirit realm stayed with me. So as I got older, I would read books on it. I would uh, read articles, anything I could about it, I would read. And so this culminated into my undergraduate uh, year at the University of Arizona. So it was my senior year of call undergraduate college. So my maternal grandmother, Helen Lopinto, called me the, the day before she passed. And she wanted to know, and she, my family's from San Diego. So she called me from San Diego. Here I was in Tucson, Arizona. So she wanted to know if I was okay. And I thought, well, this is odd. She's randomly calling me, asking me if I'm okay. This is rather odd. So I just set it aside and I talked with her on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, letting her know my studies and how busy I was and all of that. So it was a good conversation. We ended up, I love you. You know, I love you, grandma. I love you too, sweetheart. I'll talk to you soon. So then I get a call the next afternoon from my mother. So her uh, daughter, of course, and uh, I could tell by my mom's voice that something wasn't right. And so when I picked up the phone, my mom said, oh, Nicole, I, I love you so much, sweetheart. And I, and I knew immediately something wasn't right. And then she proceeded to say, I am so, so sorry, sweetheart, but grandma passed away early in the morning. And so it was about 4.45 a.m., and so, of course, I was devastated. I was very close with my grandmother. And so I booked the first flight I could out of Tucson to San Diego. It's about an hour long flight. And so my grandmother never really wanted a funeral. So it was just basically the immediate family that gathered. And we had a viewing ceremony. And uh, myself and my two cousins, uh, we all placed a picture of us when we were kids and in her pocket. So I saw her uh, in the casket, very peacefully adorned in her one of her favorite uh, uh, house dresses. She looked very peaceful. So spent the weekend with the family and then, uh, or for a few days and then went back out to Tucson, Arizona. So it was a few days later, as I was back in Arizona, when I started to have experiences in my apartment that I did not have at all prior to her passing. So the first experiences were the front door and my bedroom door would rattle as if someone was twisting the knob to try to open the door. And here I thought, I'm in an apartment. This is vibration. It's my neighbors. I didn't even give it a thought. 
So a few days later, or a couple days, two or three, give or take, passes by, and then I get I'm on my bed and in, in my bedroom on my computer, I think writing a paper, or doing something. When I I didn't see anything, but I felt a disembodied hand caress my face, and it felt as if it came from someone I knew and loved very much. That is when I started to connect the dots, and I and I thought, oh my goodness, could this could these experiences be my grandmother? Again, I didn't put much stock into it. So another few days went by and here I was in my bedroom at night working on schoolwork when all of a sudden in my left peripheral vision, I looked and I saw my grandmother full bodied, solid full bodied. She looked about 10 years younger. She was wearing one of her favorite blue and white house dresses. She almost looked as though she had a white halo around her. So it almost looked like there was a spotlight shining against her back. She didn't say anything. She had a slight smile on her face, but she looked robust. She looked healthy. She looked younger. And the experience lasted about, I would say, about a second and a half to two seconds, which is very long for an apparitional type of sighting. So, of course, I connected these dots and, I'm, and I said, my goodness, could this be my grandmother really communicating to me from beyond? I also thought, well, I'm grieving her, her passing. Could it be me? you know, projecting this? Could it be like a bereavement hallucination? So as the years have gone on, and that one experience actually catapulted me into to being active in the field and, and, and investigating the paranormal, specifically ghosts and hauntings in, in the spirit realm, and, and recently moving more into to afterlife research. So I do think that it was her coming to me and, and, and giving me that, that message that she was okay and that she was where she needed to be. So I, I shared this experience or these experiences with my mom, of course, her daughter, and we agreed to talk with her and let her know that she's free. She doesn't need to be bound here anymore. She, of course, can come at free will, but she's free. She doesn't need to worry about the family anymore. And then after that, the experience has stopped. However, in the last 20 years or so, I mean, she does come around at certain times. So around the holidays and and anniversaries and things like that. So it was just a very profound experience with a loved one that really got me on the path of paranormal research. And I honestly, I credit her for that because I never ever would have imagined in, in my high school years or college years doing any sort of paranormal research as an adult. And here I am. So, and I've, and I found myself in the last, I would say in the last few years, kind of moving, I still do paranormal research, of course, and investigation, but moving more into to afterlife study. So that's kind of where I am now. And, and it's a journey. It is, it's, it's just, it's an amazing journey. So. Wow. Well, this yeah. is, so this brings up a lot of questions for me. You know, I know that uh, many people, myself included, have had experiences where we see deceased or we see shadow figures or boogeymen, whatever those, those entities. And most people just ignore them or think it's their imagination. Right. I get that. I really think a lot. And then many, many people, of course, are afraid of, of this. They're very frightened of these experiences. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And my next question, though, because this is like my, my personal fascination, I love, I happen to love history. And yes. so when I saw that you had written books on the Queen Mary, and I, I, can you tell us 
how did all that happen? I mean, oh, I you know, it's, <laughs> I, with the Queen Mary, I think a lot of this is just divine intervention. So I'm a history lover too. I've always loved history. So mm-hmm. history and the paranormal are like best friends with the dear kinship. I really feel that working in the paranormal allows us to have that window to where we can look into history and it, it allows it to come alive, so to speak. So with the Queen Mary, I knew of the ship. My mom actually went ballroom dancing in the veranda grill, which used to be the, the first class starlight roof club, which is at the stern side of the ship. So my first introduction to the Queen Mary was again in undergraduate college, again at the University of Arizona, my junior year. And so for spring break, one of my friends and I came back out to Southern California to do one of those three-day carnival cruise uh, uh uh, and uh, and I was gonna say anniversaries. Hello, cruises. Hello. So there's a, cr- a carnival cruise port like right next to the Queen Mary. Mm-hmm. So I remember my first glimpse of the ship was from the back seat of a car. I was driving on uh, you know Queen's Highway and I saw the Queen Mary and it was this instant. Oh my goodness! I will be back here someday. So I you know embarked on our our carnival cruise and I remember uh, watching the Queen Mary as the ship sailed off until I couldn't see the Queen Mary anymore. And I was so fascinated by it. Of course, we had a great time. We had a day at sea. We went to Catalina. We went to Ensenada, Mexico. It was fun. So then fast forward to 2005. That was the first time when I actually drove to the Queen Mary and actually stepped foot on the vessel. And when I did that and I stepped foot on one of the hotel decks, so it's M deck, A deck and B deck are the hotel deck. So A deck is where the hotel uh, lobby check-in is. So when I stepped foot actually on the Queen Mary, it's hard to put this in words. I tried to describe it in my books about the ship, but it was this instantaneous like soul to soul connection. My soul connected with the ship's soul. It, it, It felt so familiar. It felt like I had been there before. It felt like home. just this amazing connection. And in my research, talking with former crew and former passengers, even World War II veterans and war brides, there are many people in her past that also had that connection with the ship. Mm -hmm. So it's, I I think that with the Queen Mary, it's, it's a very sentient vessel. And I think that that's something we can't quite explain. Of course, theories, of course, being, having a rich historical tapestry helps and all of that. But for some reason, it's a very sentient vessel. And one of her uh, claims to fame, she has many, but she's united people from all walks of life since her inception. And she continues mm-hmm. to do that. And it's just, it, it was like divine in- intervention. And it's the Queen Mary is, is like my second home. I have not been on board though. And uh, like over two years because of COVID. So it's right. kind of sad. So we're hoping it's slated to reopen, I think sometime in the fall. So mm-hmm. we're hoping for that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And can you share any experiences that you had on the Queen Mary? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I've had, I have so many, the Queen Mary is one of those historical sites that, that produces consistent paranormal activity. It's a very visual ship and very auditory. So a lot of people will, will hear disembodied voices and uh, they'll see 
whether it's full bodied apparitions or um, the lady, there's a lady in white on board, a shadow, a humanoid shadow phenomenon in the form of first and third class pool. I've had so many experiences. One of my very first, actually my very first encounter was the first time that I stayed on board overnight. Actually, I was there for a couple of nights, 2005 it would have been. So I was staying on a deck, AO24 to be exact. And I remember in the evening, I think it was around maybe 10 or 11 at night, I decided to just walk around a little bit. So I remember exiting out my stateroom and then I turned forward. So I turned left to go forward, but something told me stop and, and look behind you. So when I stopped and I looked behind me, I saw maybe about 20 to 25 feet down the hall, this little girl standing in the center of the hall in the hallway. She looked very similar to like a Shirley Temple around six years old, the curly hair. I mean, she could have been Shirley Temple's twin. She had on like a, a light blue. Uh, I don't know if it was a gown, a nightgown or just a, a more of a basic dress. And she just stood there in the hallway and I remember her putting her hand up and she waved at me and I thought, wow. And so then I had no idea that what, who I saw was Jackie and Jackie's one of the most beloved, most popular spirits on board the Queen Mary. A lot of people encounter Jackie. So then as you know, the years went on and I started, you know, doing a lot of research, historical research and paranormal research in various areas of the ship. I, I learned, wow, my first encounter was with Jackie and I've had several more over the years, but there's so, there's so many, I mean, I've seen so many different apparitions on board, uh, the, the shadow figure phenomena that goes on in the form of first and third class pool is phenomenal. Um, you know, it, there are times when I will go on board and this has been more recent after, you know, being on board so many times over the years, I will go on board and I will hear male and female vocalizations whisper or in regular tones say, hi, Nicole, or Nicole's here. And of course I'll look around to, you know, cause it could be a, a visitor, maybe someone else with the name Nicole. And there's like literally no one around me when this happens. So it's, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's truly phenomenal. That's amazing. Now <laughs> I'm laughing because like, wow, what an experience, you know? And when you go on board with other people, do they do they hear or see anything that you see or hear? Has that sometimes? Yeah, sometimes that, especially like, you know, for like uh, collaborating on an investigation, a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll see or hear some of the same uh, things. And so then it, we were able to, you know, you know, uh, talk with each other and say, my gosh, did you hear that? Uh, but it's, it's interesting because when I'm on with just friends or family, my, it's weird. I've had a few people say, you know, Nicole, I've, when I'm on this ship with you, I tend to have more experiences than when I'm on alone or, or with other people. I don't know if I have an explanation for that, but um, I have a core group of friends that we call it's the clan Mary. It's kind of a unique name. So we get together every now and then on like ship anniversaries and things like that. And we throw like these lavish, like 1930s style parties and then all of that. So it's, it's comprised of a, a several people who love ocean liners, who love maritime history, and they become really good friends of mine. So, um, but yeah, with, with paranormal investigations that I've done in various areas of the ship, it's, it's interesting how you can have the same experience as someone else. 
And yeah. so, uh, you know, and, and that happens, I think, at other historical sites, of course, but with the Queen Mary, it's just, it's so consistent. So it's, it's just one of those locations that is just extremely active. So, wow. Okay. This is awesome. really, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I know. I love it. All right. I'm, you look, this shows my, um, my not, not having much knowledge about this, but do you use equipment uh, for some of you? You do use equipment. And can you share a little bit like, what do you, like, uh, for look, I, my listeners are probably new, you know, when your listeners hear this, they're going to say, oh man, how do they not know this? Okay. But my listeners and I, uh, this is a new world for us. So besides the TV world, okay, you know, we see it on TV, but yes, actually yes. know someone who does paranormal investigation and research this is really very cool. So can you share a little bit about the equipment? Absolutely. So I will preface this by saying that there is no such thing as a ghost detector and the best because we get this <laughs> asked all of the time. Oh, so what's the best piece of equipment? Well, I will say that the best piece of equipment is yourself. You have to learn to trust your senses. Okay, we all have our senses. And I will say that even the sixth senses and the, the clear, all the clairs, the clear audience, the clairvoyance, the clear, all of the clairs seem to strengthen the more you're involved in this type of work. So with that said, I'm one of these that prefer, I think less is more. So I feel that if you have too much equipment, it can also be, it can in, in many ways be counterproductive because a lot of times you're spent uh, looking at the equipment and reading and trying to discern what it means and all of this. And then eight or nine hours goes by and then you've spent all that time analyzing your equipment instead of paying attention to the environment. So I tend to use um, as, as minimal equipment as possible. So odd, various audio recorders, uh, even some of the older um, Olympus or Sony digital audio recorders, some people use analog because it's thought that the magnetic tape, there's something with the magnetism that uh, the magnetism allows uh, energies to emulsify their vocalizations on the tape. That's just a theory. So um, uh, digital voice recorders, even up to some of the more uh, mic sensitive varieties like the Zoom and the Tascams, uh, different types of cameras. So infrared, full spectrum cameras, uh, even digital cameras, just so you can take some baseline photography or if there's an experience, you can snap a few photographs either um, in burst mode or just a few on their own. Uh, let's see what else. A, a lot of people use the IR infrared surveillance um, cameras as well, uh, which can be very handy. And then when you get into the uh, envir environmental monitoring devices like EMF detectors, uh, ambient temperature sensors, uh, monitoring radiation, uh, ionic energy, vibration. Uh, so there's all kinds of equipment with that. So data loggers are something that's very, very popular to use. So you want to make sure that you're data logging, you know, your EMF readings, your temperature readings, and then it graphs out for you um, those readings during the entire investigation. So you can then compare let's say personal experiences or intuitive impressions or, or actual what I call subjective data. Let's say someone saw something or heard a voice. You can compare at the times of when that occurred to let's say some of the environmental monitoring data and see if there's a match. 
or if there's a correlation. So I'm one of these, I tend to be more on the intuitive side. I'm more of an intuitive. I don't classify myself as a psychic medium, but you know, I'm very, very intuitive. So I tend to work more on that angle and then use certain pieces of equipment as a backup for that. And then of course, of course I use a divining rods as well and pendulums and certain crystals as well. So it's kind of an incorporation of more. And some people cringe at the word science. You know, some people think this field is a pseudoscience. Other people think that it can really be a scientific field. I'm one of the ones that leans more toward that. I really think it can be a true scientific field if we, you know, adapted to it the right way. But I'm one of these that blends that with metaphysics and intuition. I feel like it, it gives you a more broader um, a more of not broader, but I guess a more holistic approach to the work that you do. So this yeah. is so fascinating to me. This is so fascinating. Um, do you want to add anything before I ask a question again? Like, is there anything that, that this is triggered or a sense of association that's like, Oh, I just, I want to talk about this now, right now, before. Oh, Ellen, no, I, the question. only thing I guess will reiterate is that it's, it's almost like how, how I like to talk about it is let's say you have a jigsaw puzzle and you have all these pieces pieces scattered about. Paranormal research in many ways is trying to piece those puzzle pieces together and maybe they don't fit entirely, but they're close to being fit. So then you can adopt to that and see, okay, well, let's do some experimentation, see if we can get these two pieces to, to fit exactly. So it's like trying to piece together the puzzle pieces and you're drawing in um, historical background. So there's a lot of adjunct research. So it's not just what goes on, you know, in the four corners of the investigation, whether it's a historical site or private residence or a business, for example, you're drawing in a lot of historical research, maybe from different eras, research of the property, research of the land or the surrounding land, uh, in eyewitness interviews, uh, sometimes archaeological research, geological research. An example would be uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, the Stanley Hotel, which sits on top of a bunch of limestone. So it gives it this piezoelectric effect. And it's thought that that is why there are so many residual psychic imprint type events going on at that location. So there's all this, all these angles that you can pull in to try to tell a story of what's going on at a site. So there's investigations, which are usually just an eight or maybe six hours, eight hours, 10 hours. It's a one-time event at a site. And then there are case studies, which I feel are, are recommended because you, with case studies, you're there weeks at a time or months at a time. So you get more time spent to try to put these pieces together, if that makes sense. So totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And you're the founder of the, this is kind of like, this is where my head's going. Okay. So now we're going to the research society, the paranormal research society. So what is, can you share a little bit about like what that is and what you do? I mean, without me assuming, what is it that you do? You know, like, what is it and what do you do there? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So San Diego Paranormal Research Society. So I founded it in 2009. So prior to that, I worked with different teams in Southern California just to get some, you know, investigative experience behind my belt. But I, I always had that desire to develop my own team. So we 
specialize more in the the ghosts and hauntings and and, and spirit realm area because you have ufology you have the cryptozoology you have the occult there's all these different branches of of the supernatural but we specialize more in the ghosts and hauntings haunted locations that sort of thing so we do uh investigations and case studies at private homes uh, historical sites, uh, many historical sites in, in San Diego that we've done and businesses. And so we are there to try to find out what's going on at a location, but also to try to work with the clients and helping them to understand what could be going on at a location. So a lot of it's educational. So we also, beside the investigations and the case studies, we offer classes, for those that are interested in wanting to learn more about investigative techniques and method methodologies, I do a lot of presenting. So I offer like 12 or 13 different presentations on the paranormal, which is it's really fun to do at libraries and things like that or conferences. So um, and then also we do, uh, which have been on hiatus because of the pandemic, of course, Spirits of the Adobe tours at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, which is a very historic site in Vista, California. So if you're familiar with San Diego, Vista is about 25 minutes north. It's sandwiched right in the middle of Oceanside to the west and San Marcos to the east. So the adobe is a very iconic uh, land rancho there from 1850. And we've had a tenure there at the property since 2011. And so the tours are designed to give guests a historical and paranormal look at the property. So we do a little presentation at the beginning and then we take people through the property and we do like a collective electronic voice phenomena session. We do a spirit box session. Uh, we do a divining rod session. So it's a lot of fun. So it's a historical paranormal look at the property and it's fundraiser. So the proceeds go right back into the Adobe. So it's, it's with this pandemic though, we haven't really been doing much in the last two years. So we're really, we're eager to get back out there and, and do more research. So we have a couple private homes coming up, I think, and then maybe a historical site up in Fallbrook that may pan out. So, wow, this is, and this is really exciting. And you it were, is. It, it, you were just recently, you recently did a talk or a presentation, right? I just tell us about that, please. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. Well, I'm trying to look back. I did a virtual one. I think it was May. And then I have this part two of that. Um, I think June 22nd through Ghosted 101 online, but I did an on-site at the Escondido Public Library back in October, um, which was one of my presentations, the Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the conne connection between life, death and beyond. But um, I've been doing like a lot of podcasts and things like that lately, like yours, which I'm so honored to be on. So, but I have, let's see what else I have one coming up again at the Escondido Public Library. And that's, they have this summer reading program, which is called Oceans of Possibilities. So they asked me to talk about, of course, the Queen Mary and then part of the Maritime Museum of San Diego's uh, two vessels there, Berkeley Ferry Boat and Star of India. So I'll be talking about those three vessels and it's called Oceans of Paranormal and that's July 2nd at the Escondido Public Library. So I love talking about that. I, and it's, you know, another thing, when I was a kid, I always was afraid to go up in front of the class and talk. Like I was just always like that. And now as an adult, I love to speak in front of people. It's so weird. It's just so bizarre how you, you know, as a kid, you just, you think like, I would have never thought, oh, I'm never going to talk in front of people. And here I am doing it. So 
I think it's awesome. And there's probably something in your astrological chart, if we were to look at it, that would probably. say, right, oh, listen, you've got some major planets in the 10th house over there and yeah. <laughs> right. public speaking and talking and, and, you know, doing this work. Absolutely. So yeah, that I, makes sense. I am still so fascinated by the entire realm of ghosts. And even though I, I pretend not to be, and I've had my own share of that's basically how I got started. Also, I was about five. Wow. Years old. So, and I thought that it was all very normal. Okay. That other people saw. And yeah. then at one point when I saw my shadow figure, when I was a little bit older, I was like about six or something. I just called him the boogeyman. All right. That's because that's what, you know, that's what. Right. My parents said, oh, you just saw the boogeyman. Or somebody said to me, oh, you just saw the boogeyman. That was the boogeyman. All right. I don't know. It was a shadow figure and it wasn't, it was kind of scary. And then Nicole, I remember meeting a good close friend of the family and it was in a dream and it was very vivid and she was deceased and I was holding her hand and we were walking and I asked her, you know, like, why, you know, if you're dead, why am I? this is not the exact vocabulary, obviously young. And I'm like, if you're dead and then why are we walking together in this dream and why do I see you? And then she said something to me along the lines, well, the dead walk among the living, but only few can see us. And then I thought, Oh, well, this is really cool. And then along the path of, you know, my life, I stopped seeing apparitions. I stopped seeing pretty much anything. And then it wasn't until 2007 that I started seeing shadow figures in my home. And that was, I was frightened. I'm not going to lie. It was a brand new construction. I didn't understand why they were in, if it was a brand new construction, how do shadow figures get into a brand new construction that was being built? Anyway, maybe, you know, but um, (laughs) I didn't. Yeah. Theories. I mean, there is a theory though, that renovation of a property or construction can stir up activity. Ah, but I, I think that. that there's, I think there's always more than one reason. I mean, it could be an elusive reason. It could be maybe that that entity or entities are intelligent or intelligent and can sense you could sense them. Hence why you experience. So, you know, there's all these different theories, but construction, there is a theory and we have seen that in, in, in like private residence cases where oh my gosh, we didn't have any activity. And then, okay, we're renovating our master bedroom. And then all of a sudden there's all this stuff. So it's one of those things, you know, I I rack my brain like, well, why does renovation stir things up? I mean, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it it could be different reasons. There could be 10 different entities and they all have a different reason. So it's just, it's, you know, so bizarre. Yeah. You know, I never thought about that angle. I don't know why the, the shadow people were in the, it was pretty wild. And, you know, it was like, okay, (laughs) go away. (laughs) And then everything was quiet for a very, very long time until this year. And it was just a few weeks ago where I saw a shadow figure and it's kind of creepy, but this is where, this is where it appeared. It was in my shower with me and I pushed him away and I said, you're not coming in here. 
like right. not no absolutely not a shower over here we are not doing this and it was it it was a big dark blobby kind of shadow it was different mm-hmm. than the other one the first one I saw actually looked like a hooded figure and I was so scared my head like rapid heartbeat yeah the second one in the shower was more It was frightening for me also, I'm not going to lie. And I started getting like dizzy at that moment in time, but then it was like just really quickly. And it's like, yeah, yeah, hello, dude, whatever you are, you are not coming in here. (laughs) That's so bizarre. Like in the shower too, was that, I wonder, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but just for you to reflect, maybe like, was there anything different going on in your life? Like preceding that encounter that maybe could have been the reason why. I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind answering that. Uh, there were, you know, there were people. You know, I do a lot of psych. We 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 know I do psychic work, and so when I'm doing, I do a lot of work with different clients. Right. So sometimes it's possible that entities could become a. Who knows? You know, like I do my best to clear and clean the energies of of the clients after. Exactly. Exactly. But one never knows um, how this works. And it was, you know, like, (laughs) wow, in the shower, my, oh my goodness. Now I have something similar when I was on the Queen Mary one time staying, I forget what, I think it was on M deck. I don't remember, but I was taking a shower and I wasn't in the shower with me, but I could sense someone was in the bathroom and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I'm going to be out in a little bit. You know, you can either wait if you have the energy, if not come back later, you know, but it was just like, whoa, you know, but shadow figures are interesting because I kind of have two classifications. You have the classic shadow figure, which is thought to be maybe an interdimensional being that it comes through a wormhole, for example, and observes the living. It doesn't interact with the living, but it's here to observe the living and it's either seen as very short or very tall in like a hooded cape like hood with a hood or like a wide brim hat. Yes, exactly. That's not in the shower. That wasn't my shower person. That was my 2007 construction. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's just interesting. And I mean, uh, some people think they're maybe associated with, you know, MIB men in black, I don't know, alien species, interdimensional beings, but then there's also, I think a shadow figure that could be a stage of manifestation. So you may have so that in between, so if, if something is like partially manifested, it may not show up as a full bodied apparition where you can detect skin color, hair color, uh, clothing and all of that, but it's going to appear in this like gray or dark silhouette. So I think there's that too. So there's two different mm-hmm. classifications. I think a lot of like, for example, the Queen Mary ones fit that description of just being that lower level stage of manifestation. But I mean, there are captures that I've seen photographic captures on board of shadow figures, both in the pool area and on M deck right in front of Winston Churchill suite that have that they're tall with that wide brimmed hat. So, you know, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. Yeah. Um, I almost think there's this matrix too, like, you know, where all these different energy, you have ghosts, you have spirits, maybe elementals. Could they be part of that matrix? Could there be interdimensional beings? And there's all, and it's like a matrix. Somehow it's all connected somehow. mm -hmm. I don't know. Just a thought it'd be, I'd love your thought on that because, you know, everyone has their different opinions. 
I don't really have that many thoughts on it other than I think that we do have all of these parallel realities going on in right. all of these things are happening and we're just at a lack of vocabulary so that when we're vibrating at a certain frequency, perhaps we'd be able to see the shadow figures or they make themselves more apparent or we could see ghosts when we're vibrating at a particular frequency. Just like that's how I just like, pretty much how I interpret it. And maybe even with aliens that it's also just all the frequency that they are among us and they can come down and be here. But because we're vibrating at this denser frequency, we just don't, and we're kind of asleep on top of everything, you know, we're so not aware and cognizant of what's going on around us or perceptive. And we only have the vision of like six inches, I believe it is. We don't see what's going on. So if we were to get into a different state, perhaps even an alter state or be a, you know, and it could be a normal through normal methods of getting into right. a yeah. state. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that we're more open to seeing entities. I mean, we know that they come through during the dream state. Oh, absolutely. So- oh my goodness. Hugely, hugely through that state. But I agree with you. I think frequency I think there's a lot to that, that and intention too. Um, but yeah, the dream state. Oh my gosh. I've had so many like these spirit communication dreams. I mean, my cat that recently passed Kaylee in that two week span after her death, I was almost astral projecting and meeting her on that level, but I was astral projecting in the same room that I was sleeping in. So all the, the environment was the same. And I was able to meet her, feel her fur, see her at one point, I even felt her heartbeat. It was just, it's just bizarre how that happens, but the dream state is so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when the veil is so thin, right. We, I mean, I've had clients call me and say they've been woken and had an entity on top of them. Like that's how scary it was. Like almost as if the entity was attempting to kill them during this dream. But then when they opened up their eyes, the entity was, the entity was there and having entities at the foot of beds, you know, things like that. And just having people be in the room. So, you know, um, why some people get to see these and other people don't is, frequency perhaps and an openness or a willingness to see it and I don't know I don't have I agree on that though I think there's a lot to that and I I don't know about you I almost feel that there's that this is more of a personal thought like there's this what I call a cosmic shift going on now Mm -hmm. more and more people are becoming open to sharing their encounters with spirit more and more people are having encounters with spirit the spirit realm and even these other dimensional beings while at the same time, it seems that these realities are the realities and these dimensions are wanting to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what are the reasons for that? I think there are many, uh, could be just, um, I mean, obviously it's so mainstream in our culture, that could be one reason, but going deeper than that, I think, you know, we're in challenging times, people are hurting each other, you know, it's not as much of an innocent world out there anymore. So mm-hmm. maybe there's mm-hmm. some something to that as well but I just think that there's these worlds are starting to combine not combine but communicate more with each other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah 
um, th that triggered an associative thought. I have a friend and one of her, she can see, she sees entities all the time. And what she, her work though, is more in removing the entities, the attachments. So um, there are, there are attachments from what I understand. So there are entities that attach themselves to people and to locations, like take, for example, a bar or um, because bars have a tendency to have lower frequencies because right. we drink at bars, we drink, we get drunk. Um, it's a lower frequency um, as opposed to a, uh, let's say a church or something like that, you know, where one is spirit I mean, or a monastery. Absolutely. So the entities that attach themselves, according to her research, are these infrared entities that are trapped between, do you know what I'm talking about? You probably do, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's, there's the theory out there that, you know, ghosts exist in that NIR near infrared spectrum. So it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so what she does is when they're around people or even in the home that she'll then go in and, but she doesn't even call herself a paranormal researcher. She just, she's almost like an entity puller outer, if that makes okay. sense. So I never <laughs> even thought about it as a paranormal researcher, which probably is a little bit of what she does, but um, yeah, I don't know. She doesn't research. It just pulls them out. You know, she can. That's it's kind of like a clearing the space a little bit, which right, is, right. Yeah, which is Look interesting. At someone and to see, oh, you have this, you know, around the aura. Oh, you have an entity hanging over here around you. Let's remove that. And there are times, and you know, I know you've, you're psychic also, and you're intuitive and you have all of these senses. So can you, do you see these entities around people also like in like, like an hour third dimensional form? I can, I mean, I, I don't, I can sometimes see them. I mean, it's hard to know if I can see them and say, oh my gosh, that's definitely from, you know, a different dimension, but for me too, it's, it's, it's almost like I don't always see with my eye. It's like the, the invisible eye, the third eye, if you will. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like, I see in my mind's eye, so to speak a lot, or for me, it's almost like I'll get just the feeling that something's there and I'll pick up the personality of that entity, or I'll pick up the, the emotion of that entity. But sometimes I will see directly with my own vision peripherally, but then also in my mind's eye. And I can say, wow, okay, this is what I'm seeing. You know, it's a 75 year old female, you know, she's wearing this, she has, you know, whatever mm -hmm. curly hair, blah, blah, blah. But it's not always like with my direct vision. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's so cool. It is, it's so cool. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's just, it's so fascinating. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. And it's, I think what makes it too, a beautiful field to study is that it is in this gray area. So it's not defined. It's not white, it's not black. And so you have all these unknowns. You're trying to find the answer. Will you find the answer? Maybe, maybe you'll find part of it. Who knows? But it's just, it's so fascinating to study. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally agree. Totally. Yeah. totally. Um, is there something that you're working on right now? Another book that you're working on? Yeah, there's a, well, I have one that's the afterlife chronicles exploring the connection between life, death and beyond that uh, was supposed to be published in the fall winter, but we know with the pandemic publishers are kind of slowed down. So that's coming out soon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to be the summer or the fall. I'll let you guys yeah. know. I'm uh, right now. I haven't start. Well, I, 
I'm working on one book with uh, Marie D. Jones and Denise Agnew, and that's Women on the Fringe, and that's Groundbreaking Women in the Paranormal in all different fields. So um, uh, different aspects of the paranormal. So ufology, ghost hauntings, the occult, uh, cryptozoology, uh, historians, psychic mediums. So pretty much it runs the gamut of people that are or women that are studying the unknown. So we're doing that. It's an anthology that is going to be published by Black Spot Books sometime in 2023. So it's going to feature various different women in those different fields and sharing their work and their and their stories and all of that. So that's one book that I'm working on. And then I haven't started actually any others, but I have outlines done. Oh, so okay. yeah, you know that. I mean, it's <laughs> I wish I would have had more books that I would have written and completed during the pandemic and we're still in it, of course, but it's just, it didn't, it didn't really pan out. I did a quick ebook that I just put up on Amazon. It's about 11,000 words and that's a tribute to my cats, Max and Kaylee. And so it talks about their, their, they were litter mates. And so it talks about their trials and their tribulations, their health challenges, but also the, the very profound spiritual encounters I had with both of them after their passing. Mm. So yeah, that was, I never intended to write an ebook on that. It just ended up coming out yeah. as one. So I'm like, well, okay, turning into an ebook, let's get it up on Amazon for like 99 cents, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'll donate proceeds to like the, the humane society or something like that. So. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you know what? This has been absolutely fascinating. And is there something that do you want to tell readers about readers, listeners and readers <laughs> where they can find you on your podcast also, because I did talk about it in the introduction. Okay. Uh, but if you can let them know again, and then I'll put it down at the end of our pod, this podcast where they can find you and your books. But if you want to talk about your podcast. Yeah, so quickly. So it's Thursday nights and it's um, uh, and it's live. And then, of course, episodes are archived. And so it's called the Afterlife Chronicles. So it, it's six Pacific, eight Central, nine Eastern for one hour. And I loved having you on. You were amazing. So I have fabulous Thank guests you. like yourself. And so I've, I debuted that. I think it was October 8th of 2020. And so that's fun. And then I um, also co-host Haunted Voices Radio on the same network, which is WLTKDB.com. So Haunted Voices Radio, same time slot, but on Tuesdays with Todd Bates. Um, And so those are the two shows that I do. And so the Afterlife Chronicles, it's if I had to sum it up in one sentence, I would say that, of course, it explores that connection between life, death and beyond but it bridges, it helps to bridge that gap between mortality and the, and the afterlife or spirit realm, if you will, one step at a time. That's like my tagline that I say at the end. So that's a lot of fun. So let's see books, uh, pretty much Amazon, uh, my website, author, Nicole Strickland, I have like individual book pages. So there are the different like purchasing options, like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, there's Powell's, all the different book outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, social media, I'm on Facebook, different Facebook pages, author, Nicole Strickland, let's see afterlife chronicles and beyond uh, Twitter is, uh, the acronym of my team. So SDPRS, Nicole, and then Instagram is author, Nicole Strickland. So I need oh. to be, I don't, I'm not that active. I go in spurts. Like I can just like not be on Facebook that much at all. And then I'll be on it. 
very actively it's just weird I don't know I'm weird like that so I've, I've, you know not everybody <laughs> not everybody wants to do their life on Facebook and Instagram okay I, I know <laughs> I just you know I'm just one of those people yeah mm-hmm. so. <laughs> I'm working on getting a little bit more out there, honestly. Okay. Sticking I know. out all over the place, you know? All right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you very much on that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nicole, this has been super, super exciting. And I'm so honored to have you. And I'm going to put all the links to everything so that the listeners can find you at the end. And it has been my absolute pleasure having you and hearing about your work and your research And I hope that people listening will continue to find you and communicate with you and get your books and all those wonderful things that go on with the Afterlife Chronicles and Nicole Strickland. Oh my gosh, you are amazing. That that means a lot coming from you. I admire you very much. So this has been a huge honor. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, listeners. Thank you so much for being here with us today. All right. See you all soon.